0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Freshly Squeezed podcast. We're a podcast about shared growth through faith, friendship, and creativity. This week, we're jumping right back in to our conversation with John Michael Thompson, who is a missionary to Cote d'Ivoire, Africa. Where we left off, John was just about to tell us a little bit more about the backstory of the mission work that he's doing and some of the groundwork that was laid before him. After that, we go into our Q&A section where we answer some of the questions you all sent in to us on Facebook. Thanks for connecting with us in that way. We'd like to do some more of that in the future. I hope you learn as much as I did from John Michael's teaching and our conversation in part two. As always, we hope you enjoy this episode.
1: When James Linnell first came to Côte d'Ivoire, like now like I guess twenty-four years ago, um, they started traveling for, like village to village to village to village. There was a handful of missionaries here at the time, but not not a lot, not a lot of gospel presence at all. They're going village to village to village, um, town to town and God kept saying not here, not here, not here And like strategically, in their minds, it was like, God, this village is perfect. It has a huge marketplace. Multiple ethnic groups, multiple languages are all coming here. They're speaking the same language. Like, we could church plant here and go back to all their people groups. Like, in their power, that made sense, right, strategically, mm-hmm, right. right? If they if they would have chosen in the flesh to accomplish God's promise in that moment, um, then, it, like, it could have been justified. And all of us would have believed it. All of us would have bought it hook, line, and sinker. But the fact is the Holy Spirit didn't want them to start in those towns and villages that were like that. They just kept going and finally ended up way out in the bush. And God was like, right here. Plant your first church right here today. I was so like, okay. So they literally pitched a tent. They had their translator. But they didn't even hardly like speak French yet. They did a little bit of training in France. And like that night, they did a gospel presentation. The chief of the village came to hear it because they were excited. There were some foreigners, you know, and uh, halfway through the message, the chief and his family and his little entourage left. The chiefs here always have like an entourage, you know. They're like council, like it's like their village council members and stuff. And, um, and, and then, you know, they preached. That was it. And they went to sleep in their tent. And then at four o'clock the next morning, the chief and his entire entourage was standing outside James's tent. And woke him up, and he's like, "What's going on?" He thought, "You know, I'm about to get kicked out." You know, whatever they talked and they didn't like what I was preaching. And the chief, uh, the chief said, uh, "I couldn't sleep well all night because your Jesus was wrestling with me, and I have to know him. How can I and my family know your know this Jesus that you talked about?" And so, right there, he wow. led the chief, the chief's wife, and his children to Christ in front of their pagan. Like pagan fetish, animistic, you know, sacrificing animals, like people like, that are watching this happen, they accepted Jesus Christ right there. And the chief said, Plant a church, please uh, explain to him what a church was. They didn't even know, like, they don't even know what a church is, right? And so he explained that to them. They planted one right there and they began ministering. And uh, then the war broke out. He was separated from that village for 10 years. Never, he only got to do ministry there for a couple years before the war broke out, and for ten years he didn't have cell phone contact with. Them. Actually, back then there wasn't cell phones uh, here. He didn't have; he couldn't physically get to them because it was rebel-held territory. And after, as soon as the war was over, he beelines there. Not only was the church still there, the church had grown, even though the people were physically hiding in, literally in the bushes not even in the village, the church had grown amidst them hiding in the bushes. Cause that's what the gospel does. When there's darkness, when there's sin abounds, grace abounds more. Okay. So the church had grown in that 10 years, uh, but he was struggling with some anger. And, uh, and, and so he was like talking to him and he was excited. The church had grown. He was excited for their faith. And he said, and he was talking to the pastor uh, of the church and the chiefs and some of the men. he said, but I'm, I'm frustrated kind of like what's going on. Um, Why did God? uh, Why did God make us be separated this long? He could have sent me to plant churches anywhere else. I could have been discipling you for ten years. And uh, I mean, this is all this is paraphrase. You know, stuff he's told me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, But basically, they understood perfectly why God had called them. It turns out that village was is the center of all witchcraft in this country. And so, and so here witchcraft, they, they put on the mask, you know, the African mask you see in America, people wear them as decorations. Well, in Africa, they actually, they do sacrifices over them and they invite a demonic spirit to inhabit that mask. And when they put that mask on, they invite that demonic spirit to actually possess them. And then basically they become divine. They can't be held accountable for anything they do because they have been possessed by a demonic spirit. Now, Whether the demonic spirit actually shows up is irrelevant. The point is, is that they are acting like it has and whatever, whatever they do, it can be, it can be something crazy or terrible. You know, now I do believe in demonic possession, right? And I've seen it. But the point is, is that here you just have sin and fear and Satan through this witchcraft, right? Just controlling whole populations of people. And this village was the center. This is where all of the the witch doctors would go to receive their power from Satan. Like this is this was the village where they would actually come and they, they would literally make deals with the devil. And like they would receive a mockery of what we receive as the fruits of the spirit, like gifts from from demonic powers. Okay, and like it's it's crazy stuff. And it all mimics like stuff that we read in scripture. But they didn't know that. Because Satan mimics everything God does, and um, uh, in this, so when God sent them to when God sent them to plant in this village, what He was saying was, "I'm conquering a kingdom." I know your strategy said start in this village; this would be better. Start in the city; this would be better. But God was saying, "I'm I'm conquering a kingdom. I am conquering I'm conquering conquering the kingdom of darkness, and that's my primary concern." And actually, a lot of witch doctors from that village came to Christ. They all got sick. Everyone told them, You're gonna die because you turned your back on the demonic spirits you made a deal with. And then Jesus healed them. And everyone's like, Wait a second, this Jesus is more powerful than the masked spirits. And then people just like started coming to Jesus, witch doctors that didn't because they're not happy, they're not peaceful, and this demonic spirits just ruined their lives. And like they just like so witch doctors started coming to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think in that area, I think there's like 12 pastors now who all used to be witch doctors, wear the mask, be possessed, and stuff like that. And all of them are believers now. Like, they all got sick, and like, they, they are all healed miraculously. Uh, anyways, at least some of them were. I know that all of them saw it happen, though, and were amazed that Jesus was more powerful. And so I say all that to say that James had to wait. Um, James had to wait until it was time for God to exert his power over this demonic influence, right? Just like the Israelites had to wait until the sin of the pagans in the promised land reached a certain point and it was time for judgment. Like James had to wait until basically this kingdom came to a certain place for whatever reason so God could humble it and receive glory. James actually didn't come to the mission field until he was 45 years old. Like why? Why didn't God send him sooner? Was he not a believer? He was a strong believer with a passion for evangelism his whole life. But the point is is that sometimes the waiting doesn't have anything to do with us or disobedience. It's just God setting up his kingdom how he wants. So we can't get discouraged, especially as young people. Moses was in the desert for 40 years. Joshua was off in a hole as a slave in Egypt and in, uh, in prison for years and years and years. You know what I'm saying? We see all these people wandering in the wilderness. But God used them in powerful ways because they persevered. So it's super important that we persevere and we don't try to accomplish God's will in our own power. If James would have tried to accomplish God's will in his own power, he never would have made it to that village. He never would have Mm -hmm. proclaimed God's dominion over the center of witchcraft. He never would have been there to lead those witch doctors to Christ so that everybody could see them be healed, right? It's just, it's crazy, crazy, crazy stuff what God can do if we'll just
0: persevere and,
1: and be patient.
0: That's crazy. I, I just, it just makes me, cause I, I know, you know, Jesus didn't start his ministry till he was 30, 30 you know, yeah,
1: exactly. exactly. Yeah. And,
0: and it's, it makes me think like, how do we, uh, I don't know. I, I've read a ton of books on persevering and follow, following your, your dreams and your goals and the things that God's put in your heart. And almost none of them talk about the waiting, really. Not that I've read. Um, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't even really know what a good model for that looks like. Cause how do you, how do you walk with um, perseverance, but still stay like, I, I wouldn't imagine it's just waiting. Like you're not just, you're not, not just doing nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, not, not, it's not, just... not doing nothing. Absolutely. The problem is, is when we think it is, uh, I know that from my personality, I have a tendency when I'm waiting on something to just be like super chill, right? like, <laughs> Just wait I'm waiting on that next stage of life. You know what I mean? Coasting mm-hmm. through that's kind of like my base personality and God's had to really convict me, but like, no, don't wait to live until the next stage of life. Because when you get when you finally get to the next stage, then you're gonna be waiting for the next stage of life. You know what I'm saying? It's like God's just challenged me, like live today. Be centered on me today. Be centered on my will today. So like there's general things we know as believers from the word about like that's the will of God for all of us. To have our mind transformed. Mm-hmm right? To be a witness, to fellowship with God. You know what I'm saying? And and other believers. So like, if we're doing those things, we're going to almost just fall into his will because God is so people oriented, so relationship oriented. If we're focusing on relationships with him, relationships with others, like we're going to end up in his will. Like as Americans, we're super task oriented though, right? That's what the, Mm -hmm. the books, the goals, the planning and like that stuff's good. Uh even while you're waiting, you can have like miniature goals and plans and stuff like that. Uh but God is so much more relational than that.
0: This one is a ser- more serious one. And it's from my um from my cousin, Allison Allison Hall. And hey, she Ella. says, Yeah. Hey hey Allison, we love you. Or I do. I don't know about them. Speak <laughs> I'll speak for myself. Um she Allison says Any advice for someone who feels a call towards the mission field?
1: Uh, Everything that we spoke about in the first, like, hour.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. All of that. I was actually thinking about, I was thinking about Allison when we were talking about a lot of this stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, There's so much to say. A big one I would say, especially as as a woman, is that it's very important that... You anticipate that God is going to fulfill his promise to lead you and never forsake you. Um, and as a woman entering the missions field, uh, it is different than as a man entering the missions field in the sense that most missionaries coming out of America, just by sheer numbers, are women. And uh, more women are answering the call to missions than men are. And so what that what that does is it creates an interesting situation where uh, women are having a difficult time. Christian women, missionaries are having a difficult time finding American women having a difficult time finding American husbands that are willing to go to the missions field. And so, my challenge for you would be to prepare your heart, not necessarily for singleness. Some people take a really fatalistic approach and say, "Well, you know what? If you're a woman, if you're an American woman missionary, you're probably going to be single." But that's not true. You don't have to marry an American. And there are men out there uh, that are American that are called to the missions field also. Uh, but you you will have to be patient until God sets that situation up or you will have you. to be patient until God leads you uh, to a husband from overseas that's, uh, that's compatible with you. Um, I have met a lot of women who are called to the missions field and they ended up meeting a man even a good man, even a good believing man who they can serve the Lord with, but he is not interested and not called specifically to work overseas. And even though they love their husband and even though they love their children and even though they love the ministry work they're doing now, deep, 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 deep deep in their spirit, they know they're supposed to be on the mission. So what I would say, uh, be patient and don't settle because... (laughs) Because like there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to settle, but God has a spouse for you, uh, but you need to be patient. And allow him to present that spouse in his timing and don't try to fulfill his promise in your own power.
0: What are some other things that people can be praying for you about? And then also, this is actually someone's question. Let me find it really quick. Ben Lawson asked the question, what are some goals you have for this mission in the upcoming year? What is the best way people can help support that? And are there opportunities for other missionaries to come in and to help where you guys are?
1: Okay, that's really good. So let's let's deal with that first, and get back to the to the prayer request in a second, because okay, when we talk about the prayer request, we need to deal with the question of what's the toughest thing that I've had to deal with, okay? because that just happened like two days ago, or yeah. yes, yesterday it was the tough. I found out about. Found out and, and dealing with the toughest thing so far, um, and our second toughest thing. I guess the toughest thing would be the ocean getting super sick with malaria. But um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, but let's deal with Ben's question first. Um, so basically, goals. Um, you know, quarantine wire wow, or, or Corona. It, it threw us for a loop. We were supposed to already have um, uh, two visit uh, two groups come. Uh, we will. Have, we're going to have. We will wanted to have Volley for Christ. I'm hoping that within a year, maybe not this year, but within a year, maybe we can have Volley for right. Christ come and do a volleyball camp with our girls, and also like out of the town slash bush, and and you know, use that as an opportunity to uh, to just to build friendships and minister to people with Christ um, about Christ. But uh, as far as goals, I say on, right now, honestly, man, my goal is to get out west and. Uh, at least a couple more times uh, before elections and, um, and and train pastors. So basically, we live in the south center, or kind of south uh, uh, east of the country. But most of the bush area that we work in is out west. So we we will be expanding in this area as the Holy Spirit opens doorways and as our local church begins to you know put more emphasis on evangelism and stuff. Um, but the bulk of the work that we uh, are doing is based on James's work because the West is one of the most unreached regions. Tons and tons and tons of villages that have never heard of Jesus. Ethnic groups have never heard of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Um, yeah. So so that's our foundational work. We, no matter what we do, we never want to forget about church planting and discipleship. And, and church planting and evangelism is included in that. Well, but, uh, but the problem is, is that the bulk of our work, it, it starts about 12 hours from where I am right now, 12 hour drive, and goes out to about 16 hours driving from where I am now. So it's pretty far distance, right? And you have to plan it. You got to take medicine with you in case you get sick. You got to take spare tires with you You know what I'm saying like it's it's a pretty it's a pretty big deal um and so this year all of our plans so far have been wrecked so I would like to just get out there and do have a few more training sessions with the pastors uh I would love I'm supposed to still have a a pastor from Tennessee uh come and uh, bring a couple of his church leaders and we're supposed to train these guys in personal evangelism personal evangelism is not something that they do naturally here uh they they very much in their whole culture they have this mindset of a top-down structure. They did not learn it from America. Like it's just in their culture. They they have a chief. They like having a chief. Everybody wants to support that chief. But the problem is it puts all the expectations and the power on him. Okay, and so it's like Jesus said that you're all my disciples. You're all my witnesses. You're all to go out to Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. You to know, make disciples of all mm-hmm. nations. And so we're trying to break out of that top-down power struggle and uh, get people to understand, like, it's everybody's responsibility for personal evangelism. It is not everybody's responsibility just to bring somebody to church, okay? And this mindset, like, James didn't give them this mindset when he's has playing these churches. Like, this is deeply ingrained in their tribes, the way that they have Jesus mm-hmm. and stuff. And so, like, even though that's fine for a tribe, that's not how the church is, right? And so... Um, every culture has things that are either neutral against the gospel or compatible with the gospel. This is those things that, that kind of fights, kind of fights against it. Um, so I would love to work with this pastor that's supposed to come in August and go out and just really work and do some personal evangelism training. Um, that's kind of my only goal for this year because, because basically I have to do some, uh, some, uh, video footage for vacation, some vacation Bible schools in America that want to do an African missions focus. Uh, And then we, Mm -hmm. uh, our girls at the orphanage just went to school yesterday, and they're going to school through their whole summer. Um, Our little girls were already behind. In their schooling, when they came to us, our little girls just came like two years ago. They're already behind in their schooling if they had any at all. Then a lot of the teachers were sick this year, so they missed a bunch of class. Then Corona happens, so they missed a bunch of class. You know what I mean? Like we've yeah. got we've got a ten year old girl, ten or eleven year old girl, and she's barely out of first grade. You know what I'm saying? So they're already behind. So our goal, our big goal uh, overall this year is to start a school at the orphanage for our eight youngest girls. And then within six months after that to expand it to the next three. So we'll have um, 11 girls at a full-time school here at the orphanage. So we've got to hire a teacher.
0: Oh, That's awesome. Have.
1: Uh, it actually does tie into what people can do to come and help. Yeah. Like I would love it to have Americans come over and help teach these girls, teach these girls Bible, teach them a the skill, teach them about computer, teach them how to type, teach them music, whatever, because we have workers here who speak good English and that could help. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but like that's our big goal, and but what I'd really like to do is a smaller goal, is I'd love to get out west uh, a few times. Once I get out there, uh, get the time and get out there, it's easy to do the to, to do the training. And then in August, I'd really love to have the opportunity to go do personal evangelism training if that guy can come from uh, America. But uh, but I mean, right. there's so many opportunities. People could come in and help with my kids. Like it's it's difficult. We're homeschooling yeah. our kids. You know what I mean? There is, a, there is an English-speaking American curriculum school in uh, the big city. We, before Corona, we were taking them two days a week. It was an opportunity for them to speak English. It was an opportunity for them to be challenged with a really good Chris, uh, Christian um, curriculum. It's called Christian Liberty Press. And America's homeschool here, they modified it and actually using it at the school. And uh, But it's expensive. And it's really far away. It's like an hour drive every morning, an hour drive in the evening. Mm. And, and, and we can only do it like two days a week. So we're still homeschooling some, um, but it's difficult, you know. And so in the sense, we have a lot to do. So, I mean, if somebody wanted to come and help teach Ocean how to read, if somebody wanted to come teach Isla stuff, like like, there's, right. we, have, we have needs as a family, you know what I'm saying? Um, but there's also other opportunities too for, to somebody want to come and Help train our pastors. Does somebody want to come help teach our girls how to sew? Does somebody want to come and talk to the women about how do you get over abuse? Because that's a really big deal here. They don't even know that they mm-hmm. have the right to recover. They don't even know that they have mm-hmm. like that that's a thing. Like they just they kind of assume that they're yeah. going to live with this this hurt their whole life, you know. And so many have been abused, and, and you just don't you don't know because they don't talk about it, you know. So are there women that want to come talk about that, you know? So
0: so, many. so does that look like coming coming for like a a couple weeks a couple of months or uh, or can, any period of time we, or what yeah any period of time we can work it
1: we can work anything in we have one yeah. girl she just graduated from university she's early 20s and she wants to come and she wants to mentor the girls she wants to help us out some she wants to like just you know go and meet with you know just experience local church life here and stuff like that and just pursue the lord and and, and just see what god wants to use her for she's just willing Right? She's just willing to go that's really yeah. what God needs He doesn't need professionals I'm not right. I'm definitely not professional. you know what I mean like he just needs willing parts. <laughs> right so yeah um, so the big goal is the, is to start the school um, get the desk create uh, create or find a curriculum and then translate that into French if we can't find one in French uh hire a head teacher where eight girls really only need one teacher they're all like right there within like one grade of each other and realistically right. all the levels actually the same anyways because they're all so far behind so we want to give them focus attention we want to teach them we want to start a garden with them teach them how to garden we want to start getting them on mm-hmm. classes if somebody wanted to come and just like bring us a couple computers their laptops you know what i'm saying I'm like mm-hmm. you know, that, that would be awesome too you know so again we don't know if anybody can even come this year right because air france Right, now. right yeah it, they, you have to meet specific requirements before they'll let you travel but but yeah so I mean those are those are kind of generically speaking our goals but elections election seasons gonna pick up at the end of August and that's pretty much gonna probably wipe out the, the last part of the year because at that mm-hmm. point uh, travel usually grinds to a halt as does a lot of other stuff so in okay. August to get stuff done for this year. And then we'll
0: we'll see how it goes. Do you know, uh, John, do you know Lucas Bessie? I do. So basically he's asking, like, uh, a lot of people mystify missionary work. And they're like, oh, my goodness, uh, people who are missionaries are so much holier than other people and and I can never do anything like that and uh he would just kind of he knows your heart and he loves you and he's just like he wants you to kind of demystify missionary work and says basically he's like what is what is the difference between john michael's life a year ago before you went to africa to john michael's life now in africa obviously um you've moved (laughs) to africa but um, as far as, like, heart and uh, maturity and, and stuff like that, how has is, how is, uh, life changed?
1: I mean, physically, life changes a lot anytime you move location. Um, but the, the mystification comes because people can't picture or imagine what missionaries do. Uh, the truth is, is that sometimes missionaries can't either, just like sometimes business Owners can't picture what their business is going to be doing or should be doing. Sometimes preachers can't picture what they're going to be preaching. Parents can't always picture how they're supposed to be parenting.
0: You know what I'm saying? Teachers can't always picture where the lessons
1: are going to come from. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not like any other job because it is more involved and more stressful and it never goes away and it's never turned off ever. Um, But at the same time, it's just, just like every other job it's just we are humans and we live in a fallen world and we serve a risen savior uh, we're not perfect and we we live by grace or we don't and god disciplines us and let's us know hey you're not walking in grace right now you know what i mean so um but i i do believe that one of my expertise uh callings is to is to help demystify so i think it's a good question mm-hmm. the thing about being a missionary though is that Compared to the average American experience, I have to say American because Americans are particularly blessed. It's not a bad thing, but the fact is is that as Americans we're blessed, and so compared to the average American walk or daily life, as a missionary you have to depend on God a lot more intimately, right? Because there's so much brokenness around you, there's so much pain around you, there's uh, so much poverty around you and everything is just harder and more spiritual, right? So I I realized that at this point, I'm not, I'm not in a bubble anymore. I was at Bible school for a long time and I, it just felt like everything was just like in this kind of almost like a dull bubble, like the beauty of not being in a bubble is the passion and the zeal that comes when you realize that there's a holy, righteous God and that there's an enemy that has the audacity to resist him. There's like a righteous anger that rises up, and it's it's amazing, right? And it's necessary because Satan wants you to be scared and he wants you to be more fearful of his authority than, than of God's. But um, but at the same time, I realize like I'm not I'm not in this little bubble anymore. Like the biggest thing that's changed is that so missionaries everywhere experience that because there's so much of the world that doesn't have any salt in life doesn't have any preservation it doesn't have any life in it and so it's just completely given over to the power of the enemy and so missionaries have to rely on jesus and because of it, it draws them in close now what americans don't realize is that Satan's technique in america is just different it's to pull back it's yeah. to blind and it's to numb people and that numbness leads them into complacency complacency is basically um it's assuming everything is just going to be is okay and it's just going to be okay right and so satan rules americans to a complacency and really they need jesus as much as a missionary does they need jesus in their marriage into their children's lives and in their spiritual battles and in their daily walk as much as i do the difference is is that I am now coming from American culture of numbness, essentially, right? Lots of distraction and kind of spiritual dryness to a place where like every single thing I do for Jesus is resisted. And so you either run in fear, right? Or you pray up, right? And and, and you just press into that passion and zeal that God has for his own glory and then for his children and his kingdom. Um, So that's, I would say that's the biggest thing that's changed um, but the thing about missionaries we're just people we're just people yeah. like, like we're not we're not perfect we're not better or worse we're all struggling with dealing with the old man and the old flesh and selfishness we're all dealing with identity issues we're all dealing with hurt from the past we're all dealing with in, uh, apprehension of the future we're all dealing with outside things that come against us right things old things and old man coming out of us like we're all dealing with that. Like there should be no difference. And so once people get that out of their head, you know, like there's no difference in y'all's life and my life. Like we need Jesus to be our living water. Otherwise yeah. everything in our life is going to end up dry and dead and just looking like the rest of the world. Like, mm-hmm.
0: so, sorry. Yeah.
1: Long, long, long answer, but, um,
0: that's no, that's a, that's also good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> like, honestly, that's for me and Brooks, that's, uh, Why we wanted to start this podcast in the first place is just to like to stir up, Mm -hmm. to stir up passion to, yeah, to 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 like seek God with all your heart, and to grow in areas that you need to grow. Because, like you said, like one of the main things the enemy uses in America is complacency and finding comfort in what we can do ourselves instead of relying on God and Mm -hmm. then living off of that. And that's so it's so easy to do, and I and even when you find areas that you're like, oh, I finally give it to God. God just keeps uh, uncovering more things. Like, hey, you you're relying on yourself in this area. You need to give that too. And you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that. Um, and it's like a const, It's just a it's just a relationship that is constantly, you're just constantly having to surrender more to God, which is which is a freeing thing, but. Um, but a lot of people, I don't think, even realize that they need to do it, you know. Um, and yeah. having these conversations um, is so important. And I had that luxury growing up, being around people that I admired and, and thought deeply and encouraged me to do the same. And, but I know a lot of people that don't have that just around them. And it's either, you know, God puts them in a place that they can experience that. And be encouraged by people, um, and either they take it or, or they dislike it because of you know their flesh, and they move away from that encouragement or leading towards God. Um, but yeah, essentially, that's what that like these types of conversations. I want to stir up, like you said, a passion and a zeal for doing what's right, even when you don't feel like doing it. Putting yourself in a situation or following God even when it's hard and putting yourself in a place where he can use you is, uh, yeah, it's hard, but it's, in, it's, it's what God calls us to do is surrender our fleshly desires for his desires for our life because that's where it's most effective. Man,
1: it, I remember as a kid thinking it's mystical. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, Jesus is mystical. How does God stay in heaven? Okay? but then he also comes to earth, but then he also descends as a dove, but then he goes in the grave, but he's still in heaven, okay? And then he raises himself from the dead and he's praying to himself and then he goes up and he sits by himself at his own right hand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like these people that try to take the mystical yeah, nature myself. Of, yep. of God and the Trinity, it's like, you can't do it, right? God is mystical. He doesn't fit into this atheistic, uh, world, like American, Western civilization worldview view, but um, so there's mysticism there but but like that's God like my walk isn't mystical either I'm in the word and my mind is being transformed and the old man is being subdued under the new man who's being renewed in Jesus and my life reflects that or not Either I'm showing the fruit of the Spirit because I'm spending time with the Spirit, taking in the things of the Spirit, and therefore producing fruit, mm-hmm. or I'm not. But that's not mystic. Yeah. That's not mystical. It's only mystical yeah. if you're a non-believer and you don't understand these things because the veil hasn't come off of your eyes. And that's why all of us mm-hmm. are supposed to be teaching them these things so that the veil will 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 come off. Uh, but it feels right. mystical because a lot of times missionaries they have to spend more time in prayer because there's just so much more intense resistance. Okay, challenging things. Initially, um, it was the feeling of vulnerability. We had no vehicle. um, And the vulnerability really came to a head whenever uh, Ocean got sick, really sick. We had malaria, we didn't know he had malaria, so uh, treatment definitely started probably four days late. Malaria is pretty significant, especially for a kid that size. I I think it might be too far. So, Basically, the vulnerability, we really realized it when we realized our son's sick. We're an hour away from what we would consider a clean, uh, sufficient hospital. Um, and all of a sudden, it's the middle of the night. His temperature is 106. He's hallucinating. Um, you know what I'm saying? And we don't know what in the world's going on. We're, like, trying to find taxis. We can't find taxis. Like, that was difficult. And then him being in the hospital, having to take IV bags, um, and just being there. You know what I mean? It's just that was that was tough, and then the recovery, and dealing with kind of the fear of malaria, and having to you know make sure every night they come at the same time. You know what I mean? Before the mosquitoes come out and stuff. So that was I was wow. That was tough. you know when your little boy loses weight and he's on an IV drip and stuff like that, you're just like what mm-hmm. in the world? You know, and the fever things. His fevers in particular spike a lot. I've um, has been sick some, but you know, off and on, we, we've all fought some sickness. I dealt with a bacterial infection in my gut for like three months. I just didn't feel normal for like three solid months and um, uh, we've all dealt with like intestinal worms and just things that just kind of make us feel blah. It's tough there for a while. I do that with some of the sickness off and on, both what we believe was normal sickness and sickness that seemed like it had a more spiritual nature that, uh, that came against us, you know. It really tests your faith when your kids are sick, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. I think what's going to end up being the hardest thing to deal with just happened two days ago. where we found out that, uh, and this is a prayer request also, we found out that one of our local church members, she's not one of our girls, but she's a 16-year-old girl, one of our local church members, Uh, Right before quarantine, so we didn't know until now that quarantine's over. Uh, Right before quarantine, her parents uh, sent her to Togo. That's two countries over under the guise of going to see her grandma. But when she got there, she found out that her parents had sold her into marriage to some old man. So she was tricked into going, and she is trapped all against her will. And she is this wonderful, beautiful 16-year-old girl who loves the Lord, took care of her other siblings, brought all her other siblings to church. Her parents are not believers. And Satan swooped in and tempted them. Whether it was through desperation or greed, we don't know. And basically um, took took this girl's future. And uh, so now she's stuck there. She has no believers around her. She has no church now. We don't think it's a believing family, as far as we can tell, that she stuck with. Nobody's heard from her. And even, like, the local church here, like, they thought she was going to see her grandma. So they gave her a little bit of money for the journey, for some snacks. They prayed over her, and, like, they sent her off like it's a normal thing, and no one's heard from her since. And we just found out yesterday that uh, before she left, there were some other girls in our village from Togo who were talking about uh, that possibly happening. And this girl went with her cousin and just— I was talking to the pastor today, and I told him, because we just found out he's just now finding out. Um, I and I told him. He said, "But I just saw her cousin last week in the market, so we know her cousin came back, but she hasn't come back yet." And she was our she was our greeter at church, and we just we're heartbroken over this girl. We're absolutely we're angry. Oh my goodness! Uh, we're angry at the parents. <laughs> we're angry at the old man. We're we are just it's it's overwhelming. You know what I'm saying? It's been difficult to think about anything else, uh, but we don't know how to approach it exactly. It is it's it's illegal, like it's technically illegal. So we're we're pursuing the spiritual avenue and the legal avenues that we have available to try to get this girl yeah. back. Um, we're not sure if we should approach this from the perspective of do we want to try to help figure out if the family did this out of desperation because they have great need, or were they coerced in doing it, or should we be more aggressive and put try to use the government. A uh, department that's over the protection of children to put pressure on them to give up the whereabouts of the girl. Like we don't know. Like this is way over our head. But all we know yeah. is that it's wrong. The problem is, is that so it happens so much here that even the other believers here are just kind of like, yeah, she's gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's it. Yeah. That's as far as the conversation goes. Oh yeah, I'm so yeah. sorry. No, we haven't heard from Ad- from Adele. Her name's Adele
0: i do okay yeah
1: and so please 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 pray for her so we're we're going to sit down with the church members here and just talk about how it's not okay and we don't have to roll over as believers and so i think we're going to be initiating a, a time of fasting and prayer for her um there okay. is there is a passiveness here because the the believers here are so used to Satan having his way and they're so used to the devil winning that they've kind of learned to be, just be passive and just accept bad things and uh, even like when a uh, like a aggressive person or a violent person comes against them and tries to steal their land or steal their church property or hurt somebody or a family member that's not a believer tries to threaten them, instead of rising up in prayer and fasting and declaring the authority of Jesus over a situation and inviting Holy Spirit to come in, they just they just kind of like, okay, you know what I mean? And it's just it's something that's absolutely not. Uh, not biblical and this is one of the situations where why is this church of 30 people not fighting to get this girl back they all know her, they all love her What, what's the this girl was sold into slavery it's, you know what I'm saying Like it's literally slavery like She has to sleep with this man. She has to take care of this man's house. She has to take care of this man's food. She has to take care of this man's family. She has to do whatever she's told when she's told to do it. She has no communication with the outside world, no communication with us or any of her friends. None of them have talked to her either. It's slavery. Her future was stolen from her by the enemy. Where's the righteous anger? I'm not saying we should act out in the flesh, but righteous anger is a very real and a very expected thing. That's what Jesus experienced in the temple It's zeal, right? This girl is the temple of the Holy spirit. Why don't we have zeal for her like Jesus had for the temple? Like why should we be okay with Satan coming in and having victory in her life? And so we're just like, we don't need, there's so many emotions and so much surprise and so much, I don't even know whatever There, it's just, it's hard to even process. Um, Yeah. so as of now, even more than my own child being sick, is knowing that a girl that I used to see every single week, and who used to come and watch over her little sister play with Isla every single week, is knowing that that girl was sold into slavery. Hmm. That that's been the that's been the toughest thing. Um, so please pray, please pray for that. Please pray about that. Um, intercede, yeah. um, and we'll keep people updated as we can. You know. It might be one of those yeah, situations you, where we have to make a big stink about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So
0: yeah. we'll see. Can you um, – you, you said you're going to maybe have a time of prayer and fasting for her. Can you let me – can you let us know
1: yeah. when you're doing that?
0: Yeah. Because um, I, I, think, I think definitely me and Taylor and I know the True will do that too. I think that's like – that. just like kind of um, – that's really heavy. That is yeah. so heavy. So, yeah, it's, it's
1: heavier than anything I've ever encountered in my own life. It's heavier than abuse because it goes way beyond abuse. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's, it's an unescapable situation of abuse. But the thing is, she's a minor. So it's it's every country she traveled through to get there, it's illegal.
0: You know what I'm saying? But
1: the thing is, it's like nobody's doing anything about it. She's just become a lost child at this point, a child bride, even though she's 16. Like, that's still a young teenager. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like she ran off with her 17-year-old boyfriend and got married. That's like, okay, well, they're married now. Let's counsel them and what a Christ like mm-hmm. parents looks like this is not that situation as far as we can as far as we can tell all the information is pointing to this so we're going to go talk to her parents tomorrow but they are again they're not believers they've never come to the church they've never responded to her invitations to even come and meet us or say hello or anything um, and so and they have two other daughters so we're worried this is going to happen with their other daughters as well oh, and right. one, one of yeah. the, their youngest daughter is Isla's closest friend closest friend here she's the same age As as Isla, she hasn't been back to church since her sister's been gone. Uh, And so we're worried that in one fell swoop, Satan just took Jesus out of his household. And um, uh, it's, yeah, it's bigger than anything we've encountered. So we're just praying that they're going to meet with them. But we we don't know if they're going to be hostile to us. We don't know if they're going to give us a phone number so we can just check on her or send her money. Like we don't know if she's being taken care of. And uh, so we don't know how they're going to respond to us being there. Right. So okay. we're, we're not going to walk in there, trying to shame them. You know what I mean? Like, cause we don't really know the full details, but, but lying, lying here is like, yeah. you could lie just to make somebody feel better. You can lie just because it's convenient. You can lie because you don't want to look bad. So it's, you know what I'm saying? So it's not, you know, it's going to be difficult to understand if they're even telling the truth. So we have to find yeah. a way to get them to, um, uh, to get us into contact with her or give us the contact information. Okay.
0: If someone wanted to help uh, financially and just know how to where to send that, what, where how could people get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, if they want to get a hold of us, they can email us. It's Team T H O M P S, go at gmail.com. Okay. Not Team Thompson, go. Not that one. Not. Okay. That one. That's some other guy who had it first. Uh it's teamtopsgo <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, or they can just shoot me a message on Facebook, John Michael Thompson or Brittany Nicole Thompson on Facebook, uh, and just talk to us about it. Uh, you know, if, if, if the airports open up, it's definitely possible during the summertime. Uh, as far as sending stuff goes, all of our money goes through Gap. Gap is the legal nonprofit state side. And in Côte d'Ivoire that we work under, okay. so they're like they're kind of like our financial accountability, and so like they see all of our money. They see how we get 100% of donations, but but they see all of it. They see what we're spending on. They can ask for our receipts. You know, if they wanted to like audit us, essentially, like they could, right? Like they have it's complete. Mm-hmm. Um, it's we're completely open with with Gap. You know, they're there to make sure I don't buy a Corvette. You know, what I'm saying they're there to make sure that ministry money that's given for the orphanage gets spent on the orphanage, right? So it's like they lead us because they're the ones that started um, the ministry here, but also they have other missionary families too. Like they are just they kind of like our accountability partners. And there's like a whole board of directors and everything. It's a 501c3, so uh, you have to go to Gap's webpage, though to donate. Right now, it's uh, it's either check, mail in check, or through PayPal. Um, but okay. you go to gapmissions.org, and you have to click the donate link, and scroll down and click on the campaign box, and click John Thompson Africa Personal, and then put in your stuff. It'll take you to PayPal. Then you have to log in on PayPal. And uh, we're working on updating it, but right now that's all that's all we got. So uh, okay, yeah, that's pretty much
0: okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad we got some of that info in there. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode. John Michael, bro, thank you so much for being on. Uh, It was awesome getting to hear your heart for ministry, for what you're doing in the Ivory Coast, even through COVID. I know your family is uh, having a hard time, but also an awesome time. And I know you're where you're supposed to be and where God's called you to be. And that's one of the best feelings in the world. And so I'm just, I'm so thankful for you guys. Also, if you guys are interested in following John Michael, getting up to date with what he's doing over there uh, because things have changed a little bit since he uh, even recorded with us and so keep up to date with what their family's doing by following them on Facebook and on Instagram and uh, if you guys are interested in supporting them in any way or maybe even going on a missions trip uh, if your church is interested in doing something like that definitely follow them and also I'll give their email and other contact information so you guys can can uh, get in contact with him and his family Um, next week we are having whitney winston on she is a camp director uh, and creator of this camp called camp in the community which is based out of east tennessee they're doing amazing stuff in that camp brooks is uh helping out this summer and has in the past as well getting to talk to her and hear her Uh, story and what she's gone through to make this camp happen is pretty amazing. And I'm pretty excited to share it next week. So don't, you don't want to miss that. Uh, Speaking of keeping up to date and making sure you don't miss stuff, give us a follow over there on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to connect with you guys. Love you all. Have an awesome week. We'll catch you in the next episode. And until then, stay fresh.